The Musician's Musician Podcast is brought to you by you. For real. We rely on listener donations to grow the show, so if you'd like to support what we do, you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. Just follow the link in the description. It's super easy because PayPal. A huge thanks to those of you who have already given. We also want to ask if you could be so kind as to rate and subscribe to the program on whatever platform you use to listen to us. It helps the show reach more ears, and we love your feedback. Okay, on to the show. So, Max, I was thinking about a number of different experiences that I've had as a working musician over the years, and not that you and I are particularly old, but we've mentioned before that we lived in Utah, and Utah is one of those scenes where you kind of end up doing a lot of things. Uh, You get your fingers in all manner of music. You're doing... You know, you're doing pop gigs, you're doing indie gigs, you're doing jazz things for weddings and whatever, you're doing cover bands, you're doing bluegrass, you're doing country. Like, you kind of just have to dip your feet into everything if you want to be working a lot anyway. You just just end up doing... Very true. Like, much more than you're qualified to do, right? Wow. I, I felt that. Oh come on! I, it wasn't that wasn't a max dig. That was a nobody can do that dig. Um, um, Man, well you you played for a bluegrass band like far more than most people did, though. I did. There there was a there was a great uh, and they're still active. They're a really fun band out based out of Salt Lake called Pixie and the Party Grass Boys, and really cool band they do like a lot of the you know more modern-esque uh approach to to bluegrass music and they were anyway i was i was um one of their first call subs for a number of years uh when when i when we were both living in utah and it was one of those experiences for me nevertheless where you realize that once you start getting a little bit deeper into this thing you realize that you kind of have no business being there unless you're ready to like commit and learn it and you learn the songs you learn the techniques you learn the licks you learn the different forms you learn all the different little interactive approaches that are unique to that genre and you know it's the it's the dunning-kruger thing like dip your toes into something and you're like, ah, I got this. But then you get like a little deeper into it and you're like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I don't, but I feel like some of those are like a lot easier or harder than others. And, uh, yeah. Bluegrass is, it's, that is, that is one of the harder ones. Like I would be terrified to have been put in some of the situations you were, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it is, it is a it is a deep well anyway w- without yammering on about this too much i ho- hopefully that kind of gets the point across only reason that this is a salient anecdote at all though is because we are talking about the punch brothers today which Woo! It, yeah man i mean i've been a follower of theirs for a 
pretty pretty good amount of time um and we're talking about them because they are rather prominent in the bluegrass space like today um there are a lot of really famous names that one can bring up when we're talking about bluegrass and its importance and relevance to the modern day but the punch brothers as an ensemble and the individual members are very important for modern bluegrass music. So we'll talk a little bit about what that means, like when we say modern bluegrass, which that's a very, it's a very nuanced thing. And I, you know, there's just a lot to get into here. And it's just one of those worlds that I have explored, but I have not gotten quite as deep into it as I have many other things. Yeah, we have nothing but the utmost respect for the bluegrass folks. Yeah. This is really cool stuff. And we're just going to dive into it because, man, like, I just turned on Hell on Church Street. Like, it was Ooh. like a Sunday morning or something. My wife and I were, like, making breakfast. And I was like, you know what? We need some Punch Brothers. And, yeah. like, it was just, like, perfect. So good. Yeah, you Can't, you know, you can't, like, focus on what you're doing because <laughs> you start listening. Yeah. But. Anyway, going to talk about a little bit of biography with the Punch Brothers. They're kind of a super group yep. in a way. A lot of groups of people that are exceptional like in uh, in and of themselves and successful in and of themselves don't really work out, but the Punch Brothers is definitely an exception to this rule. So they kind of started out just like a band, like a bunch of friends and kind of like a traditional band because a lot of like quote unquote super groups get put together by labels or other weird circumstances that are not organic. But um, Teeley, Chris Teeley is uh, the mandolin player and I don't know, he's, I don't know, I feel like he's kind of like a little more in the spotlight than some of the other players in the band. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, However, he uh, described the formation of the band. This is uh, in an interview with Nashville City Paper. Uh, you, see, you can find this on Wikipedia on their page as well. It says, We got together one night just to drop a ton of money, drink too much wine, eat steaks, and commiserate about our failed relationships. We'd gotten to playing together a few days before, and we had said that we needed to do something musical together. With our hearts smashed to pieces, it became more urgent. Our lives had gone the same way for so long. I knew I wanted to have a band with Gabe, Gabe Witcher, but I didn't know if it would be a rock ensemble, an ambitious acoustic classical thing, or a bluegrass group. We played, and there was a serious instantaneous connection. Then I knew I wanted to put together a bluegrass band, one with a lot of range, but aesthetically a bluegrass band. And I I think it's a really cool way that the, like the band got together. Like they knew who each other were, they had jammed, and they're like, oh, this feels good, and like keep playing together. And you're starting from this place of mutual respect and a lot of emotion. And we hear that throughout their music. And we'll talk about that later. But Chris Teeley was basically the predominant songwriter in the band very early. However, credits list him and the rest of the band writing uh, the vast majority of their, of their songs. So they started out together and like started writing stuff. They put out their first album, called uh, How to Grow a Woman from the Ground, which is attributed to Chris Teeley and Punch Brothers. So it's, I don't know 
how that works. Like it won't show up on Spotify if you just look for Punch Brothers. But um, they put out six records uh, formally as Punch Brothers: Punch, Antifogmatic, Who's Feeling Young Now, The Phosphorescent Blues, All Ashore, and Hell on Church Street, uh, which came out like a like a year and two weeks ago, almost. So <laughs> glad you had your watch um, for that. Yeah, thanks. It ha- has the date. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what day it is, <laughs> but um, yeah, so they've been putting out music pretty consistently uh, since 2006, we'll say. So like Chris Tealy put the band together for that record, How to Grow, Mo- How to Grow a Woman from the Ground, but turned it into Punch Brothers, which has been Grammy-nominated and successful touring and recording. Um, they've only had two small personnel changes, uh, Brian Sutton and Greg Garrison, who are on guitar and double bass, respectively. Everyone in the band sings, all of them, uh, but they were both with the band uh, starting in 2006, and Brian left in 2007, and Greg left in 2008. But current lineup now is Chris Teeley on mandolin, uh, Mandela and Bozuki, uh, Gabe Witcher on fiddle and drums, which you will not hear as many drums in this. We'll get to the sound later, but you know, put that out now. Noam Pakelny on banjo and uh, steel guitar, Chris Eldridge on guitar, and Paul Cowart on double bass. So, like I said, everyone sings, so you'll get some really fun stuff on that. But those are the people. And look each of them up. Like, they've all done really cool things, and that's why I listed them now um, in as opposed to, like, kind of in the instrumentation section. We'll talk a little bit more about the instrumentation then, but you really got to check these guys out. Like, Chris Eldridge is very cool. Uh, Chris Teeley, like, those are guys that, like, I run into in, like, my regular listening. Um, however, like, Gabe, Gnome, and Paul are just out of this world good. So I hope you check them out in addition to Punch Brothers music. So to talk a little bit about influences here, it's it's a little bit similar to the Norman Blake episode, um, just in as much as Bluegrass is one of those spaces where, I hesitate to say this, but because this, this might be a little bit of a hot take. Also, footnote to that, I feel like oftentimes when we say we have a hot take on something, it might not really sound like a hot take to you, but when you're in these <laughs> like very specific musician circles, sometimes these are very hot takes to <laughs> to some people. So, yeah, there there are some artists that Parker, you and I particularly do not like that we do not voice outside of uh, like our confidence. <laughs> You know, yes, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I mean, but like stuff that you're just like talking to, like your friend, the like your neighbor or something. That they'd be like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't even know who that is. Maybe, but other people (laughs) would be like at your throat. Yes, (laughs) and you like wouldn't get hired because you don't like so and so. Right. Anyway, end footnote. So, uh, similar to the Norman Blake episode, though, just in as much as bluegrass as a tradition and the way it sounds i would say has not changed 
as much as some other musics that go back as far as bluegrass does. If we want to just even think about rock and roll, I mean, my goodness, has that gone a crazy amount of directions? Obviously, with some, uh, you know, variation and there, there are different threads to follow there. But like the core of bluegrass can pretty directly be traced back and and you can kind of hear it when you hear it like it's not it hasn't changed as drastically as some other things have changed let's let, let me just say it that way you know but you can think about people like norman blake who's a hugely influential bluegrass guitar player which I, I actually think at one point i read a quote from of chris eldridge talking about norman blake's influence but there's also people like bill monroe and doc watson most prominently who i think i want to bring up at this point is tony rice we have brought him up a good handful of times, um, and again, we will do an episode on him someday. He explicitly was one of the biggest influences on every member of this group. And as Max mentioned earlier, um, Hell on Church Street, which is their most recent album, it's an interpretation of Church Street Blues, which is one of Tony Rice's most beloved albums, and it is one of my all-time favorite albums like that would that that's it's like a top 10 all-time albums for me we can't overstate the influence of tony rice on this group uh and we will talk about why that is in just a minute here um but i do very briefly want to talk about uh the bluegrass scene um as we've mentioned like you know quote unquote scenes and all of these other various spaces Bluegrass is very much the same, as, and as is evident by the formation of this group, like Max was talking about a few moments ago, how the group came together, it's because all of them were buds, right? Like, all of them were musicians working in this space in one way or another and came together to form this, you know, quote-unquote supergroup. It's very akin to the jazz scene as we've talked about a number of times where when you go and look at the personnel on pretty much any jazz record and then you look up any one member of that group you're gonna find that their name is on like five million other people's albums and tours and concerts and like there's a good chance that they're like not even doing their own thing right now and sometimes they do do their own thing so you can kind of think about the bluegrass scene that way. Obviously, there are going to be some, you know, different specific things to the scene in, in more detailed ways. But generally speaking, you can kind of think about it that way. Now, I want to put out there, perhaps, that these guys are a little different from the regular bluegrass scene in in as much as this is like, quote unquote, progressive bluegrass. Yeah, yeah. And there are underground bluegrass scenes, and <laughs> there is bluegrass around you, whether yeah. you know it or not. <laughs> so, <laughs> the moral of the story is: uh, the d- the deeper you dig, the more you find. And uh, these guys are, I think, uniquely very deep, but also like very very accessible. Yes, in like a huge number of ways, not just their music, but them. So, yeah, well, and, and to, to tie that into talking a little bit about maybe some philosophical underpinnings of the group to bring this point back up, it's really important to people in this space to be paying homage to the great 
players and the great songs and the great stylings of this music. So like a pretty universally of, of any bluegrass musician you encounter, they're going to have a very, very firm understanding of the tradition of bluegrass music. But to also think about there's um man, I I can't find it right now, but I remember there there was a quote I read somewhere talking about Punch Brothers being like the a 21st century version of the Bluegrass Boys, which was like I have seen that quote. Okay. Okay. About. Yeah. Um which is the Bluegrass Boys was like uh one of like an earlier popular bluegrass band which was with bill monroe and they they did a lot for the bluegrass genre and likewise a lot of people talk about them doing a lot for the bluegrass genre in this day and age and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that all five of them are just like ridiculously good musicians which might sound like kind of a trite thing to have be a philosophical underpinning but you know if you, if you listen or listened i don't know if it's happening anymore i know they i know they canned it during the pandemic but if you listen to live from here which is the the radio the weekly radio show that chris teeley was the host for and chris eldridge very often played on they were very frequently playing like Bach and like other types of chamber music you know as we'll get into talking about the music in just a few moments here while at the core bluegrass is kind of the the foundation here there are many other musics that these that these guys are like very adept at yeah tradition is the name of the game and if it's a good tradition bluegrass players can usually get it figured out pretty well (laughs) yeah like it's I don't know. I think I, I think there is really a strong correlation to to jazz with that, um, because you have like the guys that are like, oh well, we have to like pay our respects to, you know, all of these jazz greats. Like, but you know, we're we're gonna incorporate that as well as Bach, as well as uh, something that's like totally out. Like, there's a Radiohead cover. Hmm. on uh, one of their albums you know like they're if it's good they're interested in it but like you said and how chris teely said aesthetically a bluegrass band yeah so so speaking of aesthetics then what does it mean to aesthetically be a bluegrass band max parker i thought you'd never ask (laughs) so So, man i i grew up watching the andy griffith show Uh not that I am that old that when it was aired, I was watching it. <laughs> I, I However, did too. yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Cool. Yeah. We just we had a strange, strange TV situation growing up as I did. Um, <laughs> That's but true. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> which which became um, more and more apparent the longer you and I lived in the same house. So. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It just anyway. A lot of lot of DVDs. That of old things, but yeah. whatever. So I remember watching the Andy Griffith show, and they would all play bluegrass, like from time to time. I mean, like they're in North Carolina, I'm pretty sure. Um, but that's that's kind of the birthplace of this of this uh, music, that area ish, very very folk. Uh, I mean, it is folk roots. It's like such a such a very American music, which we can't really say very many things are. So kind of the whole base of the sound, pun intended, is the double bass. So 
it's <laughs> it is the same bass that you would see uh playing jazz uh playing uh in a symphony orchestra but they're gonna usually be plucking it they're you're gonna get like that that uh very woody uh kind of hollow like warm sound from that um and that contrasts really really well and importantly with all of these other instruments that are very very bright the guitar like we talked about in the Norman Blake episode like you're getting a lot of flat picking like you're getting a lot of like very quick stuff going on but that almost doesn't even compare to like all the licks and brightness and flashy things that are happening in the mandolin and the fiddle and the banjo you will hear a lot of chords but you're going to hear a lot of uh just uh just fast pickers, I guess. That's the way to say that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you don't necessarily have drums, like in the way you have drums in like a rock band or a country band, for example. Like a country band, uh, at least as we think of country now, is a lot more rock and roll rooted than uh, than bluegrass. Or is more related uh in its origins to rock and roll than bluegrass. So you're going to have something that does keep the beat in, in, in a way. And sometimes that's um, a drum or some sort of percussion instrument. Um, but a lot of times that's like hitting your, hitting your guitar. That's uh, percussive sounds of like hitting your strings, like on all of these different instruments. Um, but you also get that texture from the strumming that happens, like your mandolin playing chords, your banjo playing chords, uh, guitar. Each of those brings this percussive element in keeping time to the bluegrass sound. So, I don't know, it's it's kind of a cool thing to me because in bluegrass in general, you can just like pull instruments in and out and still play the songs and kind of everyone somehow still knows how to do what needs to be done yeah and which i'm sure has more parallels to jazz that i just haven't made yet but uh it's i think yeah. it's pretty magic like just, just to like kind of place that into a, a jazz context actually there's a you, well you can think about traditional jazz as being sort of similar in that way because there, there there is like a a typical lineup for traditional jazz where you have a clarinet, a trumpet, and a trombone as a front line in a traditional jazz group. And those three instruments play very specific roles, albeit in an improvised manner, which is which is very, very similar, if not identical in a lot of ways to how the bluegrass thing happens, where there's there's a form, there's a melody, there are chord changes, and then given that information, there are roles that the instruments know that they are supposed to play, um, and they don't step on top of each other. But there is, you know, that is kind of a parallel you can think about if you're familiar with traditional jazz, which is like jazz of the uh, early 20th century. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thank you, Parker. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So you will see... Uh, you will see bluegrass bands that have varying instrumentations. However, Punch Brothers kind of has all of the bases covered. 
And so they're filling all these roles. I mean, in my understanding, when I listen to it, I hear everything being very well filled. And it seems like everyone's got a very deliberate job to do. So when you listen, I think it's really cool to pick out the different instruments, uh, particularly if you're not used to listening to this music. Hmm. Um, there's it, it takes perhaps a little more trained of an ear than if you were listening to like a rock band that has like fewer instruments that aren't playing in the same uh, same registers or with quite as similar timbres. Well, to sort of pick that up into talking about what makes Punch Brothers unique in all of this way, right? Like there's there's a lot of commonalities between them and quote unquote average bluegrass band. Not that we want to call anybody average. Everybody gets a trophy, right? But well, if you're bluegrass, you do kind of get a trophy that, in any way. Fair enough. <laughs> you, fair you, enough. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's a couple of things just in terms of like form that we can think about as being, I don't know if I want to go as far as to say totally unique to the Punch Brothers, but but kind of in a lot of ways. For instance, on the first album, they play this piece that Chris Teeley had written, and it's a it's like a four movement suite. Um, I don't know if they call it a suite, but it's much more written like like a piece of classical or or chamber music. A lot of it is through composed, but you know there there are definite there's definitely still space for um, a lot of interpretation. But that happens. That sort of thing happens rather frequently in their music, where the arrangements will actually be pretty intricate, which again is why some people kind of tend to verge on calling them like modern chamber music or like modern American chamber music, because they're using this like traditional American instrumentation and a lot of parts of that sonic palette and a lot of orchestration and arrangement techniques from that tradition but they're also applying a lot of other more uh convoluted traditions from western music into what they're doing as well and that is kind of unique to them Uh, that doesn't only manifest in the length of songs some of which are rather lengthy but but you're also going to hear songs that like were they done in a more like rock band or pop band instrumentation like the composition itself would sound just like a really well-written pop song, which is a little bit of a different dynamic that you get where they're, where they're kind of following more like popular music forms in, in some ways as well. Sometimes I just want to add in really quick that we, we talk about like all these things going on and you, you were alluding to this Parker that when you listen to punch brothers, that their music is very dynamic. And so sometimes we will just have, a single vocalist or a single instrumentalist. But then we do grow all the way up into all the members playing and all the members singing. Mm. So I think that's something to keep in mind is that through their composition, their sound really is made up of these really dynamic swings that are very emotional. Mm. And that's something that I think is really important to their music is the words that they're saying are really reflected in the vulnerability or the intimacy that you hear or in just like the ferocity of playing. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not aggressive music in the way that like Napalm Death music is, but (laughs) it is very intense at times. And so you get this whole spectrum and 
they masterfully have arranged everything so that it's really taking you through the emotions with this just like insanely dynamic range yeah yeah like it's it's not like they're just jamming all the time right like there there are those totally there are those moments where it is like yeah they're jamming but a lot of the times it is like it it's a song so within that you know you're gonna get a lot of the predictable strummy flat picking things that you can really want and hope for and expect from a great bluegrass band i mean it's all there and in, uh, Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, all the goods are there for sure. But you're also going to get a lot of really interesting uh, takes on rhythm within this space. You're, you're going to run into a lot of odd meter, which we've talked about numerous times. But just as a very brief refresher, you know, things aren't just four on the floor, nodding your head in a really easy, predictable way. That'll kind of go a little off kelter from there. Same story harmonically. There are plenty of moments where you're getting... All the goods that you want in a just a good bluegrass tune, but there are also a lot of moments, and and they they're very masterful about seamlessly integrating this in in such a way that it's not terribly distracting. Um, but there are plenty of moments where both in terms of harmony, that being like chord progressions, but also just like melodic lines that instruments might be playing, are like very modern in as much as like they're following very chromatic uh patterns the way that chords are transitioning into one another are by no means traditional in a bluegrass sense although you know you you can look at cats like tony rice or norman blake who were doing some like very interesting things in that sense but um but they 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 very much have i I've I've kind of been hesitating to like use this phraseology throughout this episode, but they they really do kind of have a little bit of a classical um, approach to a lot of the ways that they they write this music. To put a bow on all of this, it's really good bluegrass, but there's a lot of modern sensibility going into it, and there are also heavy influences coming from other strong Western musical traditions. So, who can we think about them as being similar to? Um, and as stated at the top, you know, this bluegrass is not mine nor Max's specialty. So, our knowledge in this space is somewhat limited. So, if uh, there's somebody similar to the Bunch Brothers that you think we should be bringing up, please please do let us know. But who, I don't know. Max, do you have anybody who comes to mind? I mean, they're definitely the people we've talked about throughout the episode. Um, and we, we, were talking, we were talking before about this, and I think it's really funny that similar artists to the Punch Brothers are other groups that members of the Punch Brothers have done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think, aside from that, it's really important that uh, that you look back at the people who are really responsible for bluegrass. You know, people that you mentioned throughout the throughout the episode. Um, but then we also have people that are doing modern takes on folk music and incorporating jazz and other different musics into it as well. Uh, like Julian Lodge, for example. Kind of a different take, but uh, I think uh, similar in a number of ways. Mm. But yeah, not our wheelhouse, like you said. Uh, but I know... You have uh, some other people 
that uh yeah you know you, i mean I know you had some other people in mind there's like other people we've talked about on the podcast like edgar meyer and bella fleck and norman blake who we've brought up too much <laughs> maybe not enough um, but there's also some other uh, like modern groups like uh, Newgrass Revival, which is another group that uh, both Sam Bush and Bella Fleck, who we we talked about Sam Bush in the Bella Fleck episode, both of them are members of that. There's also a group called the Infamous String Dusters, of which Chris Eldridge was a founding member, as I recall, although he is uh, not a regular member with that ensemble anymore. There's also Nickel Creek, which... You know, Chris Teeley's in that to kind of serve <laughs> serve your point. You think about Goat Rodeo that we talked about in Bella Fleck and Edgar Meyer episodes. It, it, it's this weird blend of like bluegrass and then like other more, I don't want to say academic, like musical traditions necessarily, but kind of. Nerds. <laughs> They're, they, they are. They're all music <laughs> nerds, which is, which is yeah. why their music is, well, that doesn't necessarily mean your music's going to be good. But when it works, it's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> how, how would you recommend getting into them, Max? Um, so catch them live, obviously. Mm-hmm. See them live if you can. They also have a lot of a lot of stuff on YouTube. So there, are, uh, there are concerts. There uh, are like really well professionally done recordings. They have their own YouTube channel. They are interested themselves in putting out good video material this is a little sad for me and so i'll, I'll bring it up uh, i grew up listening to a prairie home companion and yeah. a prairie home companion was hosted by a guy named garrison keeler and then chris teeley took over it until um until uh, it shut down for, due to covid19 uh so uh that's really sad however uh, Chris Teeley took over, and a number of the players and people in Punch Brothers were regulars on that. So, hmm. so they're, I mean, they're not necessarily playing as Punch Brothers, but like, check out the individual endeavors of these different band members, and you'll see them playing with each other too. Which <laughs> I don't know if that's counterintuitive, but that's the way it is. Yeah. So, uh, the 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 records are really great. I mean, definitely something to put on. Uh, in the background or for a very focused listen. Uh, it works well for for that, both of those and everything in between. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't uh, I don't think there's really anything particularly uh, particularly new as far as ways to get into this band that we haven't talked about with others, but do it. So yeah, but what about an album? Oh, dang it, Parker. <laughs> I have struggled mightily yeah. for this. Um, I'm going to say who's feeling young now. Mm. Yep. I really, I mean, I I thoroughly enjoy all of their music, but upon last listen, that was the one that was like particularly uh, resonating with me. Yeah, I, I really, th- that one's probably my number two. Um. I, I really nice. like that album a lot too. Um but you know, I'll I'll put in the plug for Hell on Church Street. Yeah. Um that we uh mentioned earlier. Um one because it's just a killing album. It's really fun to hear their take on a Tony Rice album. Like the, I I think the way that they put it is that like, you know, Tony Rice interpreted all of those 
songs on the album in in his fashion and they're interpreting tony rice's interpretations right so it's a l- little bit of a different way of like thinking about how they're doing the album so it's, it's really int- listen to listen to church street blues by tony rice I mean, if, you, if you're not aware of it, it's like one of the great albums of the 20th century. You need to know about it. But then listen to Hell on Church Street. And it, it, it is quite different, which is a lot of fun. So anyway, really, really cool band. Lots of fun. Very talented. Plenty to dig into. And it's not hard to get into. It's very, very accessible in a lot of ways. Um, I would say watch them. Like, they're yeah, fun to watch, too. Yeah. Like bluegrass in general is fun to watch, but like, like these guys are just like having a ball and like are entertainers, you know. Yeah. They're they're not just musicians; they are performing. Yeah. So it's a show. It's a know. good show. Yeah. 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 Worth your time. So all of that said, this is our defense of the Punch Brothers. Artists and consumers of art tend to yammer on about tradition, its importance and influence, and the fact that new music is born of old music. What has worked so well with the Punch Brothers is not only a dogged handle on the bluegrass thing, but a profound awareness of more modern and diverse sensibilities, at times teetering into perhaps being better characterized as modern American chamber music. And yet, there are even times that were the instrumentation different, it would sound like a brilliant pop tune. Alas, in the end, they are more of a bluegrass band than anything else. The instrumentation, the manner of interaction, the technique, the sounds, all coming from an identifiable lineage of brilliant playing. But it's that modern twist, that pseudo-classical, well-arranged, knowing-this-music-in-their-bones sort of presentation that draws in fans far beyond the bluegrass realm. To be fair, you can classify a fair amount of bluegrass artists in such a way. The major difference here is the all-star cast making up the Punch Brothers, each player having a career in his own right. And so, if you need that feel-good, deep thing that only bluegrass can provide, with maybe a bit more of an overt shake of virtuosity, these are your boys. So thanks for listening. Punch Brothers are a treat. Every time I listen to them, I'm just having a ball, and it's a really fun band to share with other people, too. So... We hope you check them out. We hope you dive into you know the things that each of the members have done, because uh, they they branch out and have done you know a variety of different things that are not all like it all doesn't sound the same. So we hope you check it out. We hope you tell us what you like. We if you are a huge bluegrass aficionado, we hope that you tell us what we have missed. Um, we hope you tell us uh, what you're excited for this year, what kind of genres and artists uh, you would be interested in hearing. Uh, we have a plan, and we're excited about it. However, plans are subject to change, so let us know if you have some opinions on that. Anyway, we hope to hear from you. Send us an email at themusiciansmusicianpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at TMMPod. You can even go to our website, www.tmmpod.com where you can listen to episodes, read the defense of the artist, check out our picks, and even donate to the growth of the podcast. So we hope you love Punch Brothers and all the music that they bring to the world. And until next time, thanks.